to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. Welcome to episode 121. Mm -hmm. And we are going to do part three of discovering your purpose. Uh, Episode 115 was part one. Episode 116 was part two. And John, you've had some aha moments that make you want to do a part three, even though we've got a gap between parts one and two. A little bit of a gap, but yeah, I had a some really, really, I think really powerful, um, not that my epiphanies are powerful, but I've learned of, of really powerful stories. So this will be, um, if you remember some of the concepts, one and two were specifically episodes 15 and 16. I mean, so parts one and two were specifically about a guide called the gift, uh, gift passion story, GPS, get GPS for finding your purpose or your uh, calling. And so this one is less about that tool specifically than it is about the purpose and calling and the the many different ways that uh you can that that we can see people thriving to the utmost like like firing on all cylinders from from vastly different births and and experience and backstories, backstories. Yeah. so it's almost it's it's also the talents conversation you know the bags of gold conversation it's also using what you've been given um it'll make i think they're they're together for me uh thematically yeah yeah so it'll be good. I think it'll be great. And episode 115, we talked about the concept. Episode 116, we went over your results. Mm-hmm. And now this time, we're going to kind of merge uh, gifts, talents, passions, but also, um, you know, how many bags of gold have been invested in you. Right. As far as the parable. Uh, but, and I don't know, uh, we haven't talked through all three of these case studies we're going to do tonight. So um, I'm not sure uh, if all of them have sad stories this is an interesting thing mm-hmm. i think as a principle greatness always has darkness hmm. what i mean is you won't find an extraordinary person who doesn't also have corresponding extraordinary pain interesting and i, I think w- that's the truth in these three cases is that, would i be right it's the truth for two of them. Okay. There's some exemptions to that come to mind that um, I wasn't going to talk about for this conversation, but like uh, Agatha Christie yeah, um, on the outside had a pretty good life. She just grew up affluent. She grew up among a lot of writers and she started writing and became the best-selling novelist of all time. Wow. And even best-selling novelist of all time till, is Agatha Christie. Uh-huh. Up till today still. Wow. So... There's there's exemptions, but maybe maybe as a rule of thumb, you could say. Uh, I would love greatness. to hear. I would love to hear somebody go deep in Agatha Christie's background and see that there. See if there if there. Everybody's got challenges, but right. was there any truly agonizing thing? It's a good question. Yeah. Uh, before we get further into our conversation, it is Joker story time, and you were up this week. Yeah, so I have a short story. Um, when I was in college, I met this really good looking blonde missionary kid <laughs> and I kind of fell head over heels for her. Uh-huh. Uh, eventually conned her into marrying me. Nice. Um, she would be su madre. Of course. And um, so uh, we're dating and we get invited to go on this uh, student leadership adventure. Mm. So it's a bunch of students from our college who are considered leaders among students. Yeah. And uh, this adventure is going to be going 
to uh, a river and floating a river for like 20 miles. 20 miles? I don't know. It's a long day. It's an all-day canoe trip. Okay. So you had to pack lunches So not and in like and, inner tubes. No, on, no, no. On this canoe. is canoes. So um, I had never canoed before prior to this moment. Mm-hmm. But Sue um, claimed to be a canoe genius. Really? Uh, she would not have used the word genius at the time. She said, I have canoed several times. I'm actually quite good at it. So you will just do whatever I tell you. <laughs> I said, okay. So we load up our canoe. And she's giving me very specific instructions. She has me get in the canoe before her and uh, emphasizes, I would say, a few times that you just need to do what I tell you because I'm really good at this. So you, as you're getting in, you go, are you sure? And she goes, yeah, listen oh, yeah. to me. Oh, yeah. I, I got this. So uh, we get in our canoe. We get out into the middle of the river. It's a pretty wide river. and Got some current to it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, she decides to stand and adjust some things. Oh, and it's a, uh, and right. we, before I know it, we are completely <laughs> flipped over in the river. All of our clothes are wet and the morning has just begun. And All is of just our, the two of you or this is the, the two of us in our canoe in your canoe. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know if it's a, like a long, yeah. like our lunch is floating down the river. Oh no. We didn't tie anything up. You know, I don't know. I've never canoed before. Yeah. Um, it was hilarious because it was so close to her. Uh, emphasizing her skills. It was so soon after you actually pushed off. Oh, yeah. It was immediate. It was, (laughs) yeah. And so uh, I've never let her forget. Yeah, I can imagine. And I'm I'm sure she's thrilled about it. (laughs) I actually haven't brought it up in years. Was there humility in the moment? Oh, no. No. (laughs) (laughs) We, there's been a few times with that. Um, Most recently with us uh, moving, I've moved quite a few times yeah you have but somewhere between the um like multi-generational appalachian hillbilly who has been on the same plot of land for like you know 300 years somewhere between them and an army brat yeah. I'm, I'm in you know you're on the army brat side on the yeah on that side yeah you know, those guys some of those kids have moved like 20 times before they're out of high school well your so mother and i bad, when, when we were married 14 years uh-huh. we had lived in 14 places yeah that's pretty crazy yeah so I had probably, I haven't been around the whole time, but I've been in a lot of those places. Uh-huh. Um, so it, when we're moving, you know, she's like, well, do we, she's worried about tying some stuff down and, and with boxes and things. And so I, I've had the attitude of, well, you know, as you would say, let Jesse rob this bank. Yeah. You know, I'm your huckleberry. Yeah. I've done this, you know, I, I who knows how many times. I'm, I'm experienced. And, uh, but I'm just waiting for something to fly out that wasn't tied down <laughs> or, and have that exact moment. <laughs> I've had it before with, with some things like we, we got a coffee machine and cause I worked at mud Bay for, I don't know, nine months. Yeah. So I'm an expert. Right. And, uh, she's like, what do we do with this? I'm like, well, I'll, I can figure it out. And then it's like alien technology to me or something. That's so, so funny. There's been a lot of that. So, so you're nervous about the actual transporting of the goods. Yeah. That if, like if I don't stack it right or if something, if I don't tie it down, yeah. something's going to fly out. Cause that's the part she's nervous about is the actual transport. Yes. Yeah. For the most part. And normally, because it's, it's funny, and you're in my relationship, I'm far and away the warrior. Mm-hmm. But in mine and Lindsay's relationship, she's the warrior. Not yeah. far and away so much, but, you yeah. know. So, like, uh, we, uh, Brian, my uh, uh, brother-in-law, talks about a time where he made this giant, I would call it an effigy. Of, what is an effigy? Oh, like Burning yeah, Man, yeah, you know, like yeah, the giant. Yeah. So he built this tower of chairs that we were going to throw away and firewood. And Christmas trees. 
And was it also the Christmas oh, yeah. trees? Yeah, it was a long, it was a tall. So, yeah, this thing's like six feet tall, maybe higher. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, oh, it'll be fine. And so I'm like, that chair will fall <laughs> off immediately. And he's like, no, it won't. So I go get the hose and I stand right next yeah, to it. Yeah, because you're sure you're going to have to put out a fire. And I did. The chair fall as soon as it's on fire, the top chair falls off and I hose it off. And so it anyway, saved us from I, burning down our home. <laughs> almost certainly the home was in danger. <laughs> No, but I was right about the chair. That's you, the important You were thing. right about the chair. That is the important thing. But uh, you were also worried that, you know, a an out-of-control five-alarm fire was imminent if you didn't have that hose in your hand. Well, I mean, what if I didn't have the hose in my hand? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, kick <laughs> us off here, John. Uh, okay. This is an episode where uh, I'm going to really enjoy you leading the way and uh, introducing me to these three people, these three stories. Mm-hmm. And how they, you know, how they guide your thoughts on this uh, discovering your purpose conversation. Sure. So to preface, I have three examples, and you might think that I have then three separate points. Two of these uh, stories. So, so each of the examples is a person's a, a famous person. Um, two of them are at the same point, and one is the other point. So I have, I have a spectrum basically. Okay. And two represent one end, one represents the other end. Okay. So it's a little asymmetrical as far as. Uh, Sources go. Right, right. Um, It'll make sense. So I was reading about, well, on Spotify, there's the Discover Weekly playlist. It's a cool thing where they, Mm. in some weird black magic algorithm, they know all the music (laughs) you listen to, and they say, you'll probably like this music. And so they introduce you to something you mm -hmm, haven't listened to. There's all all kinds of stuff that they That's pretty cool. How come that doesn't happen to me? Do you Spotify? Yeah. If you go to your homepage, you'll be there every week, a new playlist every single week. I need to start looking at that. It's hit or miss. I found a lot of really good stuff, but most weeks I leave it, you know, yeah. the same as I got to it. So one of these full I disclosure, a little uh, behind the curtain. Oh, yeah. Is I do have a Spotify account because you wanted one and I pay for it. <laughs> and I also have a Pandora account. And I did at one time have two Pandora accounts, none of which I'm very experienced on how to use. So I'm paying monthly these these uh, subscriptions because I'm too lazy to cancel them, and I'm too lazy to learn how to really maximize their value. Hmm. I thought you were going to air even more Dirty Laundry, where you have have asked your son to help you to teach you Spotify. I have, but I wasn't going to bring that up. But now that you did, I have asked my son (laughs) to help me uh, maximize my Spotify proficiency since I pay for it at his urging. And uh, I got no help. You say, teach me. I said, all right, I'll teach you. And that's how it goes every single time. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so discover you, weekly. So this discover weekly. So then, uh, I've talked about Lee Fields before on as a yeah. as a media show and. Did tell. you find him this way? Um, that's a great question. I can't remember. I might have, but uh, Lee Fields is a still going classical soul artist. Yeah, I think he's in his sixties. He's got this great voice, and he's still doing the soul thing. He's mm-hmm. not necessarily innovating on he's, he's It's very classic. Uh, he's on a record called Daptone, which does this. They do a lot of... Um, uh, How do you spell that? Daptone? Daptone. D-A-P-tone. Tone. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, another Daptone guy comes up named Charles Bradley and uh, in my Discover Weekly. And he, I listen to him. I go, this guy's like kind of like Lee Fields. Turns out he's actually much more successful than Lee Fields. So it's kind of, hmm. it's weird that I found him backwards, but it's just, if, I, if that's the algorithm, then, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Charles Bradley uh, passed in 2017, I want to say. He passed of cancer. He was in mm-hmm. his, also in his 60s. And so uh, 
I do some research on Charles Bradley because I was like, what are the odds that we have two? They honestly sound almost similar. They're, they're actual voices, uh, him and Lee Fields. And so that's when I found out they both are on Daptone. And uh, but then I found out crazy stuff about Charles Bradley. So he, uh, when he was very young, his uh, dad left and his... Uh, and he's a black American. Black American. Both of these men, Lee Fields and uh, Charles yeah, Bradley. What part of the country is he in he as a kid? He was born in Florida. And he was uh, saved from a bad living situation by his grandparents and moved to Brooklyn when he was eight. Okay. So he considers Brooklyn his home. He sings about coming home and he's always singing about Brooklyn. He loves, okay. he loved New York and um, he's brought up there and he uh, sees at a very young age, he goes and sees James Brown live mm. and he becomes at home a little James Brown. He's doing <laughs> his mannerisms. He's doing his voice. And um, so he just kind of, he's just a wild card. He, he becomes basically a transient. He he's just going all across the country Hitchhiking, working. Now, at in, what age? Um, it's hard to say. Because, but, but he's like a teenager. He like yeah, dropped he, out of school. Yeah, he leaves as a teenager. He doesn't graduate high school. And Sorry. He, I, and, and he's living in a car. He's just homeless. He's living. He, a, was, he was homeless for a little while, and then he he started starts doing this James he, Brown thing. It, well, he started. Yeah, he does some impersonations, and he'll do like open mic nights, James Brown stuff. And then in the meantime, he'll work in restaurants and in the kitchen and things like that. And he's kind of bouncing around the country. Yeah, he goes that. to goes to L.A. Does the James Brown kind of thing there for a mm-hmm. bit, and uh, so he eventually goes back to Brooklyn to uh, live with his mom. His mom abandoned him. Like I said, well, I didn't. I don't I guess you I never said that. Yeah, his mom abandoned him in Florida when he was eight. That's when he ended up living from his uh, living with the. Okay, so he's eight years old. Mama ditches. Yeah, and he somehow ends up in Brooklyn with his grandparents. Yeah. Okay. And then as a teenager, he bails out of there and starts bouncing around the country. Starts going around the country. Doing James Brown stuff. And it doesn't working seem... Working in restaurants. So it's all... Um, it's like vocal storytelling. So he, there's no book about this. He just threw interviews and things. And, and there was a small documentary made about him. But again, that's just interviews. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of, by nature, a little floaty, the details. Um, but he doesn't seem to necessarily try to break out. It seemed like he was just going he's just going through life so he wasn't trying to be, be a famous james brown impersonator he just could do it and he needed to make money so yeah um eventually he uh his mother reaches out to him and she's in brooklyn and she wants him to come to brooklyn and and reconnect now at this time has he been discovered yet no no not yet so he's still just nobody mm-hmm. and but she finds him yeah, I don't know how. I mean, I don't think he was homeless this whole time. I think yeah. he had apartments and things. But And so he decides to go back and see his mom. Mm-hmm. And so they reconnect and uh, become best friends. Hmm. Like, best friends. And he uh, then... That says a lot about him right there. Yeah. So then he goes and uh, he talks to this producer. I don't know if it was Daptone or not. It doesn't really matter. It's kind of more industry semantics. But he talks to a producer, does one... Um, little audition and he's on. And then from there he does. Uh, uh, I noticed in an article you sent me about him uh-huh. that he was discovered by a guy from Daptone. Oh, was he? Yeah. So that okay. must have been the because he was doing a James Brown thing for him, right? And then the guy said, "We're going to have you stop doing James Brown and do your own thing." Yeah. And so then he makes a whole record that uh, has no written lyrics. He was in a room <laughs> with musicians and he said, "Play stuff and I'll sing." And really? So he, yeah, he improv. It was all improv. An entire record. I'm sure they did takes. You yeah. Know. Um, but uh, so then eventually he starts making, He I don't know how many records he did. He was only famous for uh, five or six years. Mm. 
And uh, so anyway, this was to me. So when you talk about um, the Bible mentions a few times, it's kind of a funny phrase, but they mentioned the aroma of Christ. Yeah. And uh, it's just kind of the, it's a really tangible way to talk about someone's like, um, I don't know, vibes would be the 2021 way to say it. Mm -hmm. You have the vibes of Christ. We could probably make that famous, huh? (laughs) Bumper sticker. Um, Now you said he was only famous for a little while, past tense. Is he dead? He's dead. Yeah. He died of cancer like in in 2017, I believe. Okay. Or 2016. Okay. Um, so when I hear about him with his mom and he talks a lot about, I was reading, so the, on Spotify, you have a, uh, an artist bio at the bottom. Yeah. So this is what I was reading while I was listening to his album that was presented to me. And it talks about him with his mom and talk, and he talks about his love for people and generally. So if a publicist, especially for a secular, secular quote unquote, uh, label writes their, their bio they wouldn't necessarily get into faith leanings. Right. So it's talking about his love for people and how he would bring uh, uh, roses to every show and just hand out roses to as many people as he could. And he would get on off the stage and hug as many people as he could. And so all these things, I'm going, this guy has the aroma of Christ. I said, I will be, I don't know, Bob's uncle. That's not a thing. I, I, bet, my, every, I bet everything I own. This guy is a, a, a follower of Christ. <laughs> So I, the Bob's uncle thing, that's Bob's a, your uncle is what yeah, I was thinking. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a British thing, right? I know. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Anyway. So, so then I go and I find, and I, I read interviews from him and oh yeah, is he a Christian? He's a Christ follower. And, uh, he, so in interviews, he talks about, um, his just, he, he's really, he's dramatic cause he's an artist, right? But he talks about, you know, the love that he has for people and how almost, um, like when we, we aspire to self forgetfulness as Christians, and yeah. he he has you know almost battles with self forgetfulness. Excuse me, forgetfulness, and he talks about how you know overwhelming it can be, and how then this is to an interview with GQ, and he would he says he goes into his house and he turns off the lights and he plays loud ocean noises on a CD that he has, and he calls out to God and he's and he's with God in the peace of God until he can face the world again, and then he goes and faces the world, mm. and so then the guy says you know you talk to God I'm assuming this I don't know if it's that was news to this interviewer and so Charles Bradley says I don't go on nobody's stage before I talk to God yeah and so I'm this guy's blowing my mind and he has weird stories he tells a story in this interview about going to he's in near Ketchikan Alaska somehow on some kind of weird hitchhiking trip yeah and he gets left up there by these this caravan and he, he gets lost in the woods and he cries out to God and God points him home and God and gets says, him to safety and says, you're going to be fine. Go yeah. and take a nap. And he rests. Rests in the woods. Yeah. And another really interesting, just because I find it interesting, um, thing that happens, he says that he called out to God and God says, when you're in the city and places built by man, you have no fear. And now you're here in nature in places built by my hand and you're afraid. He says, why are you afraid? And I go lay down and go to sleep. And he went to sleep. could totally chill out. This is in the words of Charles Bradley. Right. So anyway, his um, most recent album was the one that, on Spotify, at least, it got the biggest numbers, and it's called Changes. And he wrote it uh, after his mom died, who, mm-hmm. was, again, was his best friend. And uh, and the first track is God Bless America. It's it's a crazy thing. It's a crazy, crazy thing on this album. Changes is a, did I already say a cover from a Black Sabbath song? No, you did not. It's a cover of a Black Sabbath song. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne wrote it as a kind of a breakup song, but Charles Bradley sings it about his mom passing. And it's a powerful, powerful record. He does a lot of, if you're going to go there, 
and listen to it as, as like a worship song. It's not really that's that. not going to happen. It's a soul yeah. album. So yeah. he sings a lot about, you know, girl troubles. He sings yeah. a lot. It's, it's a soul album. But uh, but the man. Anyway, so very, very powerful. I'm inspired by this. And it, and I what I realized was I couldn't get out of my head was we talked about in the GPS conversation, mm-hmm. you know, um, different forms of even generosity and, uh, you know, how comfortable some people can be with um, financial generosity compared to time generosity compared to, you know, service, these kinds of things. Sure. And I, and Charles Bradley to me is like a major league, like Barry Bonds level service, love, generosity. Like looking at him, I was like, I don't know if I could ever, you know, the the work of God in you is a, is a miracle. So it's hard to say what's possible and impossible, but I don't know if I could ever be like that guy. They say he did a prison show and the prison captain, you know, there's a line where yeah. you where between the prisoners and the stage. And he said, don't cross the line. And at the end of the show, Charles jumped down and did his thing, hugged as many prisoners as he could. And, uh, and it's just powerful, powerful stuff. And so with the stuff with his mom, you know, people don't do that. The GQ, people don't forgive yeah, that much. Yeah. The GQ article that I read <clears throat> referenced that he has truckloads of sad stories. Yeah. A lot of pain in his life. I don't know what all of those are, but that it's a, that it's a truckload and yeah. that there's lots of articles that have been written. The documentary about him is a lot about the pain in his life. And what's interesting is when he talked about his love for people, that he just loves people and he believes that's a gift from God, but it's also a burden. And it was, you mentioned, you referenced this earlier that he gets so overwhelmed with loving people yeah. and hurting for their hurts and wanting them to flourish that it's like a burden. Yeah. And that's what he needs to go get uh, recovery from. And it, that, Oh, I'm sorry. Keep going. I, no, I, I was just going to say, that's an amazing thing, you know, all by itself. And the interviewer is blown away by it because he yeah. says, what do you mean you love God? I would think you would blame God. Right. For having such a hard life, for having such a hard life. And he said, how can I blame God? He's the one, he's the only one that was with me. He's the only one I could trust. Yeah. So just, just amazing stuff. And so even, when I think about uh, the body, this is this is my my aha with this example of the incredible different um, what's the word variety of experiences mm-hmm. that you could have and give and flourish unto God with everything you've been given. So even down to his uh, where he's born, his race, his testimony. Say say he was white, and you could go well. You know, it's easier to be a white man in America than it is to be a black man in America. Mm-hmm. So you, this guy, if you were just to put him in like a, uh, in like a, a algorithm, has had it as tough as you can have it. Some of his stories of, of, of experiencing, you know, born, not born during, but, but uh, an adult during a lot of the, you know, Jim Crow kind of, mm-hmm. or immediately post Jim Crow kind of stuff. Stories of just getting um, uh, picked on, beat up. Yeah, and he's bouncing town to town, yeah. you know, living on his own from a teenager. So, you know, he's encountering all kinds of challenges there. So the testimony, not even mentioning his musical ability, which is, I think it speaks for itself, uh, is incredible that he, you know, it's like almost if Solomon is the archetype of what if a human could do whatever he wanted and have everything he ever wanted, would he be happy then without God? The answer is no. So this can almost be, what if an American in the 20th century could have it as hard as he could have it and still be close to God? What would that look like? And this would be it, I think. And what's interesting to me is he did reach a degree of fame, 
Yeah. But, but he's incredibly content materially. Mm-hmm. He never became, and he talks about how Michael Jackson um, had this thing given to him and he couldn't steward it. He couldn't, he couldn't handle, handle it. it. Yeah, he had to, yeah. he had to cope other ways because he didn't have an advocate. He didn't have God. Right. Yeah. And, and so he talks about the weight of that. But how it didn't change him is he doesn't talk about this, but the observation is this didn't change him. He's the same dude, whether he's doing James Brown impersonations in a dive bar mm-hmm. or if he's uh, on a record label and getting interviewed by G- GQ magazine. Right. And so it's really fascinating to me how he was never changed by the degree of popularity that he achieved or the money that he was given, that generosity flowed from him. Uh-huh. And he just didn't seem to care about amassing a bunch of things. Yeah. And so uh, I've gone on for a lot about Charles Bradley, but it's okay. I mean, he's he was the source of the aha. Uh, just a little um, extra reference to this is my other case study. And well, I want to hear... Oh, sure. Tell me the aha one more time. Give me the aha in a single sentence. What is the aha from James Bradley? The aha is a guy who was born who... From me to him is practically an entire uh, solar system. Is uh, we can both. This is the talents. He was given a bag, and I was given a bag, and our flourishing with those, our doubling of those unto God, will look solar systems apart. And they are both, and they both they would both be holy. They would both, both be successful. Well done, good and faithful servant. Yes, yeah. yes. So uh, I'm never going to be doing James Brown, loving people, handing out roses, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's not even about occupation. Like it's, so you it's don't not have to just compare that I, your story to him. Exactly. You have to figure out how do I do exactly. my version of that. That's exactly my point. I is see. that even the incredible gift of love that he has, and yeah. not to say that I'm not called to love. That's not what I'm saying. But right. his is above and beyond. That is major league. It was supernatural. Yes, yeah, supernatural loving. Exactly. A gift of the spirit, the amount of love that he could have. And so do you have an idea what your comparison might be? Well, that's my other, that's my other case studies. Okay, here we go. So uh, again, the second one is just, is just an accessory to to the uh, Charles Bradley one. And that is the blind Reverend Gary Davis, the blind Reverend Gary Davis. This is what he he went by his whole life. That's what he was titled to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it was his, (laughs) when they were marketing, and this is another soul musician. No, no, this guy was born in the 1890s in, uh, I don't know where, where, but in the South and he was a blues musician. Oh, okay. And so he uh, was blind from infancy. I don't know if it was from birth. Similar thing. Uh, his dad was, he doesn't really know how. This is another one where his, um, a lot of his stories is by, by his own mouth. His dad was killed. He heard by the sheriff of whatever town they lived in, but he doesn't know. His dad had been killed. His mom, he claims, was always mean to him. He was one of two kids of his mom out of 10 that, that lived. Wow. So, so eight of them died. And him and one sibling lived, and he was uh, blind. And uh, so he picks up a guitar and plays for a while, becomes a little famous in the blues scene in the South, and then is kind of on the twilight of that. It kind of ages out. And so he goes to New York just in time, basically, for the folk revival. So he makes it, he, he's successful in, in New York, um, but in, in a weird way. So again, um, blind, one of, I mean, among guitarists, he's known as one of the greatest guitarists who's ever lived. He has an insane picking style with his hands because he's never seen another person play guitar. So he does things differently than anyone else. Oh, because he's not com- he's not modeling after somebody else's yeah. finger patterns or whatever. Exactly. And so he could do this crazy. If you've heard a ragtime piano, you yeah. know, like kind of yeah. like how many notes are in. He he does ragtime guitar. He's one of the first people to do ragtime guitar, and he's crazy about it, or just crazy good at it. 
And so all of these uh, celebrities would come and, and jam with them and learn some things among them, Bob Dylan. Like, I mean, like, mm. like the world famous musicians. And he, uh, when he's in his thirties, he, uh, comes to Jesus and becomes a reverend. So before that he was called the, I don't know what he was called actually. Cause now he's the Reverend Gary Davis. <laughs> uh, and so, and then the he blind Gary Davis, I guess <laughs> <laughs> that's actually, it's very common of, with blues singers. Like there's blind Blake. There's, oh, okay. there's lots of blind black yeah. blues singers. Uh, which is interesting, but, and then you got fats Domino. So I guess they just picked something about you. <laughs> Look at you. Uh, you're uh, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I'm a big fats Domino fan. Are you? Oh yeah. Um, so he stops doing again, secular quote unquote music. He starts doing, um, what gospel he, music, gospel music. Yeah. That's all he'll do. And so he had some hits that he wouldn't do anymore. And he, uh, in New York, I think he gets married before then, but he's married his the whole rest of his life. And he goes to New York and works at a church, him and his wife. Oh. And they're there all the time. And he uh, is not wealthy. That's why it's interesting that he did get famous and renowned, but he, they were never wealthy. They were always, always um, poor, but living, uh, he was in Was Harlem. he more famous after he died? Uh, it's hard to say. Probably. But even now he's not very famous, mm. you know. Like he's not, you couldn't necessarily say to somebody, Hey, get, you know, Gary Davis, you know, I don't think they, <laughs> even though he's considered one of the greatest guitarists of all time. But again, it's kind of among nobody guitarists. Knows. Among oh, guitarists okay. He's one okay. of the, he's one of the greatest. So it's okay. similar to like, um, uh, another guy I really like, uh, I think he might've passed recently. Uh, Ali Farca Torre. He's a, he's a, <laughs> uh, what country is he from? He's a sub-Saharan African blues artist. Wow. Who again, considered one of the greatest guitars ever lived among guitar guys. So it's, it's yeah. not really, he hasn't like broke. Phil Keggy. The, I don't know who that is. Phil Keggy is a Christian artist. Okay. From my days and uh, amazing guitarist. They asked Jimi Hendrix, what does it feel like to be the greatest guitarist in the history of the world? He, he said, said, I don't know. Ask Phil Keggy. Wow. Yeah. That, yeah. I have no clue who that guy is. Yeah. Check. So out. he, uh, at, then when he's in Harlem at this church and he would do, he'd perform on the street and he'd perform his, his gospel music on the street. And so then his branding was the Harlem street singer. Oh, and that is the title of my favorite album of his. It's called the Harlem street singer. And, uh, so this is the same exact thing, maybe even a harder life than, um, Gary or, uh, excuse me, Charles Bradley born blind, born in an even, uh, more, um, racist time and yeah. a more impoverished time. Mm -hmm. And his success was a little more limited, even though Charles Bradley didn't get his to the you last wonder five years about his, his conversion moment. Like what was it that made him realize he should give his life to God? It's really hard to say. There's a 300 page manuscript of a long days, long conversation he had with a woman who did folk history. Mm. She sat down with him. It's in the library of Congress. I've read a little bit of it online because you can access that for free, but his speech is so challenging because He's never seen the written word. I don't know if he yeah. could. I don't know if he could read Braille. I don't know what that was like at that time. So his his speech pattern is is almost like pidgin English. It's almost a different language. Yeah. So reading that has been challenging. It's hard to say. Um, wow. It's just it's it's hard to get into. But his would be another because um, then his his life at this church, his service at this church is is very very self forgetful. It's very selfless. So this is another um, born behind first plate way back in the bleachers and hit a triple and he, and he's yeah. way up in the triples. Now that's to a reference on... to a saying. If you've listened to our show, you, yeah. you've heard it. Uh, but it's a saying you and I both really like is that many of us were born on third base and think we hit a triple. You're saying, here's a guy who's born out in the street outside the field. Right. And he ends up on third. Yeah. 
And so uh, what it took for him to get to third is radically different than what it took you and I to get to third. Yeah. So so what's your aha from him? So from him, well, it's the same as with Charles Bradley. That's why he's an accessory on the same end of that spectrum yeah. of brutally challenging life, amazing testimony because of that challenging life mm-hmm. and flourishing unto God in a, in a way that I could not flourish unto God. Now with, with Charles Bradley, it's about the love, right? With Charles Bradley, uh, he talks about um, finding God mm. and, and having this um, relationship with God that that was the lifeblood of his life. Yeah, he he would get alone in a room. He would talk to God all the time. He would feel like God was talking back to him. Yeah, he had this thing. Do you know what it was with the Reverend Blind Reverend? Gary Davis. Gary Davis. Like, did he describe any of that that you know of? No, I just know that it was it was wholesale conversion. I mean, he never looked back. He wouldn't play the same music. And it was it was rarer for blues artists. Most blues artists, um, even the really big ones, lived salty, harsh lives. Yeah. Uh, uh, Huddy Ledbetter, uh, Ledbelly, you know, the first great blues artist. That's contentious probably but the first famous big blues artist uh was in prison for killing a man when he became famous and the mayor gave him a pardon because he liked his music so much wow and then died you know of alcoholism and died broke uh uh john lee hooker he's intensely private so it's hard to say but he didn't have these were these were hard men so uh, i guess what i'm wondering is yeah um we i agree you know their story's dramatic yeah why does one guy, two two guys are born out in the parking lot of the stadium. One ends up on third and one ends up dying in a ditch. Hmm. Why? Well, so part of this conversation, in my opinion, is what does success look like? Yeah. So when I'm talking about success to God, like you doubled your bag of gold. Right. It's not necessarily about dying in the ditch because um, Gary Davis died poor. You know. He, well, I don't mean uh, in terms of finances okay i mean you just never get it right yeah you were born in a difficult scenario you stayed dark never found the light Uh, you know these stories of dramatic transformation are inspiring what makes a guy have a dramatic transformation when the guy right next to him with the same story doesn't have one i might say because obviously we would say it's the miracle of being born again. Yeah. But what that really looks like to me, cause you can even have middling Christians. You can have a guy who converts quote unquote, um, but doesn't flourish. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, win for God. And I would say dependency is, is the root there. You have uh, a blind, poor man in the turn of the century. You got to depend on God. I mean, who else are you going to depend on? Right, right. Right. You have uh Charles Bradley traveling around the country, Broke his basically whatever. taking care of himself after uh-huh. basically eight years old. After, yeah, and after running away from and, in high school, finding himself in the woods in Alaska, God knows how. Yeah, he said he was with some vagabonds. I know, and they he left picked him up there. with some dudes, saying, how, and they ditched him. But did they take him? I, I was very curious about this. Did yeah. they take him to Alaska, or was he already in Alaska? Right. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, so both of these men had no other choice than to be very, very dependent on God. So, how does that fit into your aha moment? And uh, discovering your purpose. So part of it was, because my first, my first aha was, um, I can't do that. 
the the love specifically with Charles Bradley. That's why he's my first example, my bigger example, because we know more about him and mm-hmm. we have more um, of of him actual talking about his life. Uh, is I was intimidated, mm. and so then I'm thinking, well, if this is the body, and there and in my aha was that there are two different ways to flourish. Then what is my bag of gold? Which is really our conversation from the beginning. Is mm-hmm. what were you given? What are my talents? Right. Yeah. And so if you read these interviews from Charles Bradley, this is going to sound, I don't, I've, I've raved about this man. You know how I feel about this man. Yeah. I don't mean to be rude, but it's a simple faith. He doesn't, uh, he's uneducated. His, his, yeah. his language as well. When you read, when you read his interviews, uh-huh. you know, he talks, uh, like a uneducated yeah. man from the South. Yeah. So he doesn't, um, he's not up at night contemplating the mysteries of God. He's, he's, <laughs> he is fully content in the peace of God. It's, yeah. it's truly, it, yeah. it's a, it's not a, a bad it's thing at all. It's simple and deep and real and his life hangs on it. Yeah. And so, uh, that is, you know. Childlike. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which we're called to. Uh, and so I would say I have, um, inclinations and if I were to be bold talents in the, other direction in an intellectual more so, um, um, you know, digging kind of way right. with, with my relationship with God. And I think, you know, it's harder cause there's not a, as many verses to that as there is to childlike faith. Um, but if we're talking about our bags of gold, I think that's more my bag of gold. So this leads me to guy number three and we're at about halfway so I will introduce him and then we'll do our commercial break. My, my media sh- uh, review is, um, the Harlem street singer by Gary Davis and the, Oh, I'm sorry by uh, yeah, by Gary Davis. And then, uh, changes by, um, Charles Bradley, just, just cause we're talking about them. Yeah. You'll check, so them check both those out. out for the music. Yeah. They're both really good. Okay. And introduced to guy number three. Guy number three is, uh, T.S. Eliot. Oh, okay. The, uh, maybe, well, okay. I was going to say he's the most famous modernist poet. That's probably Walt Whitman who was at the very beginning of the modernist movement, but T.S. Eliot's maybe the most successful, at his time in like the early 1900s. And uh, so I'll, I'll dig in him in just a second after this commercial break. Well, give me one of his poems. Do you have any of it memorized? Uh, these are long poems. No, I do not have one of them memorized. The, like the four quartets is one poem that he wrote. Yeah. That's what I was, that, when you said his name, the four quartets came to my mind, although I couldn't tell you a thing about it. So I'm eager to hear more about uh, yeah. sell it. I got more about him. And what you'll hear about it in a minute and 10 seconds. Right. Right. The commercial we'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. And uh, John, tell us about T.S. Eliot and and introduce us to what his aha moment for you is. Okay, so uh, and when so you used uh, a reference to an era. Yeah, I'm uneducated. 
What he, era, what years were those? So the heat of the modernist movement was, I think, with most art, not just poetry, but uh, was the twenties. Was through the twenties and through uh, World War One and uh, before that, obviously before the twenties, and then uh, industry and big cities, and it was a lot of of um, primarily men uh, wondering, you know, what does what is humanity now when we have these big cities? What mm-hmm. is it? It, like even I think the urban environment had a lot to do with it. He writes a lot about in um, the uh, the wasteland, which is his biggest, by far and away his biggest work, and uh, and it's a lot about uh, cities. He was in London. He was he's a, a so he's a, a Brit. Brit. Yeah, he's a Brit. <laughs> and uh, um, so a lot of it is you know the smog of London, the cities. It's a lot of a lot of kind of conflict with nature. So that's that's what a lot of the modernist movement was. Um, so I don't have as many years as far as when he was active, but a, a big thing of it also was leaving traditional faith. It was mm-hmm. leaving faith, a lot of atheism, a lot of agnosticism. Uh, is that the word? Is that how you word it? Agnosticism? I don't know if that's a word, but you're saying that he was raised in faith and then turned away from it? Well, yeah, I mean, in England, so everyone's raised in the Church of England. Oh, okay. And so, but the modernist poets, so uh, Ezra Pound, for one, is a was a militant uh, atheist. He okay. was, he was very opposed to faith. And so the modernism as a whole was about leaving the things of the past. Gotcha. It was, how do we do things new? How do we do things to break away from our parents? And so it was, it was very rebellious in its, in its nature. Yeah. And so T.S. Eliot grew up in this or, or was in this in his, in his adolescence. And so the wasteland is, um, again, secular quote unquote, we, we, we have beef with the term secular, but it's useful right. for conversation. Right. Uh, and that's when he blew up. The Wasteland is renowned as one of the greatest poetry works of all time. Now, uh, I'm a redneck from Texas. Sure. Uh, a poet writes a poem that blows up and he becomes famous. Yeah. Do you monetize that? Is it like he get is he getting rich doing that? Yeah, he sells it in a book. The way the Wasteland you could buy is a book. Oh, it's a book. It's a one book. poem. It's a long poem. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You would either sell that or you would sell a collection of poetry. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I guess that's about it. Okay. Um, or maybe you have rich friends. A lot of these guys just had rich friends. Yeah, they had endowments. Yeah. So uh, anyway, T.S. Eliot has affection for the Christian faith mm-hmm. that his uh, his coworkers, quote unquote, his contemporaries didn't. They were opposed. And he, uh, so he goes to, I'm going to butcher it. I think he went to Italy. I should have done more research on T.S. Eliot. I, I have in the past. Cause that's yeah. why I know, you know, I know some stuff about him, but. Less recently, he goes to uh, a beautiful church. He's on vacation with his wife, and he's just in awe of this church. And he, uh, I don't know if it's then at that trip, but he very soon after or at that trip goes and gets baptized and recommits his life to Christ. Wow. And his wife is furious, and she leaves him. His, she leaves him? Uh-huh. uh-huh. His friends disown him. Ezra Pound hated him after this. Ezra Pound is like the father of, of modernism as we know it. And he it would be said among critics that he never wrote anything as good as T.S. Eliot, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, completely ostracized from the, the hardcore modernist movement and from his own wife, from his own wife. Yeah. Did he ever yeah. remarry? I think so. Yeah. So what's your aha from this guy? So my aha from this guy, cause then he goes to, he wrote the wasteland. He has two big poems. He has more than that. He wrote some plays, but the big ones he's known for the wasteland and the four quartets. And one is pre one is, one is BC. One is AD. Exactly. <laughs> so after he's born again, he does uh, the four quartets. If you listen to my John thoughts a little bit ago about time, the four quartets is almost exclusively about time. And he talks about it in a lot of different ways than I did. So I didn't want to reference it there and kind of throw myself off track. Cause mm-hmm. it was already kind of a hot mess, but 
Um, it's a lot about time and God. And it's very beautiful and very, very hardcore. I had a whole class about T.S. Eliot and the moderns at college. And with that class, with the professors read this thing a hundred times, telling us what it meant, it was still tricky. So <laughs> I, I would recommend you look it up, but maybe find a companion piece online sure. or something like that, some some kind of annotation. Um, but really, um, it's really, really beautiful stuff. And it's also, it's another one of the greatest poems ever written. Mm-hmm. It gets less respect than The Wasteland. Um it was the wasteland was edited by Ezra Pound and, and the original manuscripts of the wasteland are reportedly not as good. So reportedly Ezra Pound did a very good oh, thing for okay. T.S. Eliot and yeah. he would obviously did not edit the four quartets. Right. So this is the complete opposite. I don't know for certain that uh, T.S. Eliot did not grow up in destitution, mm-hmm. but I don't think he did. I think he, it seems like he, from all purposes or appearances, he was a middle-class guy, grew up in a normal family in England. Uh, he wasn't injured dramatically in the war. If he served, he was successful, and he uh, was he was born on third, or at least second. And he used his own personal um, gifts from God up to the utmost. Again, to, as a, as a powerful testimony of, um, I don't know. Again, conversion is also a word I don't. I'm not thrilled about, but it's useful in this conversation. And uh, making a beautiful piece of art, world class, best in class piece of art unto God about his relationship with the earth, about his relationship to time. Really, really beautiful stuff. And to bring it back, Gary Davis, I don't think he'd get anything out of the four quartets. I mean, what's he going <laughs> to... He doesn't need it, necessarily. Yeah, that's not a language he would even right, probably not, understand. Yeah, and T.S. Eliot, he's not going to have the capacity for service and love at, that Gary Davis did. Or Charles... Or, or, uh, yeah, uh, um, excuse me, um, Charles Bradley. So I meant yeah. the, from the, from the get go. Yeah. yeah. So that is my big, there it is. I think I've laid it out. Those, those that's my aha is the spectrum. You've got Gary Davis and Charles Bradley on one end of the, of the hard life or, or different gifts. And, and they turn this beautiful thing out uh-huh. of their relationship with God. Uh-huh. T.S. Eliot, who's already, already writes, successful, uh, successful writes this yeah. thing then has an encounter with Christ with which he's willing to give up his wife, his friends. I mean, he's willing to lose, lose uh, relationally. Yeah. A ton. And he still, he had a day job where he was uh, an editor at a publisher and he didn't lose that, but he gave up, you know, everything that he had basically before uh, up, up until that. So my aha was this, these are, we talk a lot about abstract concepts. These are stories where we go, well, there it is in motion. You can look at it. You can look at it and go, that is what the that's that what scripture what, is talking about. That is what about. God does to someone. Exactly. And so these, they're in the parable of the, of the bags of gold. These are, I would say they're all five baggers because they're all mm-hmm. incredibly talented, mm-hmm. but uh, in different ways. And again, you know, we would say not, none of them might say they were five bags or five pound bags of gold or mm-hmm. however it goes. So anyway... Um, that was my aha. And then kind of seeing where you fit in there. So again, it freed me. I, if I, if I'll give a takeaway, even though I've been talking this whole time, I would time. love to hear it because I, I, I'm curious because this grabbed you, right? What's the summary of, of so, the aha? That well, he, the, uh, right. So the, aha, your takeaway, yeah, the aha was in a takeaway form, um, that my sense of inadequacy to Charles Bradley isn't justified. Mm hmm. And if I had a sense of inadequacy to T.S. Eliot, which I do as a writer and thinker, that's not necessarily justified because of the uh, the sense of a personalized bag of gold. Mm-hmm. So you look in there 
and that bag was given to you for you, you know, and again, back to the parable, if you don't know what we're talking about, the parable of the talents, parable of the bags of gold, of, uh, of, of stewarding what God has given you. If, you gave, so, if he gave you five talents, if he gave you two talents, if he gave you one talent. Right. Your job is not to debate the merit of how many talents you have. Your job is simply to do something with it. Yeah. So then even if you're in a, uh, even story-wise, a big part of the GPS is the story. So if you're thinking, man, I'm just getting run through the ringer right now. Uh, the testimony of Gary Davis and Charles Bradley, both those men have two first names. That's why it's so difficult to remember their names or get mm-hmm. them, not get them mixed up. Their testimonies are, are made more powerful by the fact that they had nothing else to lean on. So that their faith on God, like that inter- interviewer said, you would think, wouldn't they be mad with God? Well, and this is very interesting because you're calling those guys five talent guys. Yeah. Um, but I think most of the world would look at them and go, they started out as one talent guys. They turned one talent into, into 10 talents. Yeah. Because they were, they were disadvantaged in every way you could be disadvantaged. Yeah. And they still produced. Well, and I think, and you're saying that's why they're five talent guys. Cause that they had that, uh, because they were able to do that. Well, and their actual, their actual musical ability is another reason, but, but you're right. Yeah. And I think, I do think that most of the people in heaven that we meet, that'll be um, excellent stewards that really, really tripled their investments. Yeah. No one's ever heard of them. No one's ever heard of them. And I can't use them as case studies because no one's ever heard of them. Yeah. They lived service lives. They helped, you know, incredible amounts of people and they did not seek themselves and we're never going to know about them until we're in eternity. So I think those guys are can oftentimes be the one or or, or two or three or or you know yeah. bags. So do, are you are you with me? I am, and here's my two. I have two takeaways. Okay, they happen to coincide with my engagement with the scriptures recently. I'm using this new new to me Lectio Divina process. Right, it's really that. bringing the scriptures alive in my life. So two recent experiences with that dovetail right into this. One is they're both in the book of Mark. I think one of them's in Mark eight or nine. The other one's in Mark 10. But the first one is Jesus says, cause these guys are arguing over who's the greatest. Um, one of them pulls Jesus aside. Hey, I want to sit at your right hand mm-hmm. in, <clears throat> in the kingdom. And um, he says twice to do different chapters. If you want to be the greatest, you have to be the servant of all. And the second time he uses the word slave. Mm. You got to be the slave of all. And I think uh, I wrote in my journal, what would it be like if we actually believe that? Yeah. That to be truly the greatest, you had to be the servant of all. And I've been finding myself um, trying to serve like that. Those two guys, the first two guys, that's what they did. Yeah. They're servants, you know, renouncing the musical fame and doing a pastoring a church in Harlem and, and, and Charles Bradley, just loving, 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 giving Mm -hmm. away, giving away, loving, um, forgiving his mom, that level of, yeah. Yeah. Then the T.S. Eliot takeaway for me is that childlike faith, um, unless you become like a child. You have no place in the kingdom. This is really all three of these guys communicated this to me. The other two, because they are as simple as children. Their faith mm. was very simple. But what T.S. Eliot did was he he just followed God like a like a son. Like yeah. A, you know, 
and was willing to lose it all and trust dad, just trust dad. Mm-hmm. This, this universally with these three guys, I, I feel a simple trust. I'm going to let my wife leave me. I'm going to let my friends leave me. And this was in Mark 10 where he, he says, unless you become like a little child, you, you, you'll never enter in the kingdom. So I did a little word study there. The, the little child means a, pu- a prepubescent boy. Oh, wow. And I began to just remember my childhood. How simple everything was. Yeah. I've got, you know, I had pictures that my mother has given me in photo albums uh-huh. that flashed through my head. Um, you know, uh, flat top me with thick glasses. Flat top? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. You got to show me this. With uh, thick glasses <laughs> in shorts with no shirt. And I'm wearing a <laughs> towel around my neck like a cape. And I'm playing Batman. Uh, that's hilarious thinking of playing Jacques Cousteau in the yard with my sister mm-hmm. uh, thinking of this child and how I never worried about COVID I never worried about vaccines I never worried about who was in the White House money I never worried about money never worried about the economy never worried about any of that mm-hmm. and um, but so I was thinking about this child thing and then I remembered First Corinthians 14 in your in in regards to evil be a child, but in regards, but in your thinking, be adults. Mm, interesting. And so you have with the T.S. Eliot, you, you see a childlike willingness to just do whatever the father asked him to do, but also thinking like an adult, that, that whole new writing and, and thinking that, that whole, all that thinking about time and stuff makes my head spin. There's a deep thinking there, mm. but also a willingness to just trust dad. Yeah. So uh, I guess my takeaways are intersecting my own journey of faith with these stories. Um, This challenge to just be servant of all and have a simple trust in father God. Simply. And what it makes me think of is because these are three, again, famous people, but we, you know, we recently went over the passage that we are, uh, uh, master works of God, mm-hmm. right? Made by his hands, like, yeah. like uh, sculptures. Yeah. And it's funny that a lot of our calling, you know, is to be not necessarily in front of people, but, um, if we are the body of Christ, we, you know, our interaction with people or our relationship with people, we have to be seen. It's mm-hmm. kind of a, it's kind of a funny nature of our calling as, mm-hmm. as everybody's is you have to be, you can't, um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Well, you, to be a monk up in a cave exactly. somewhere, that's not the point. Right. You have yeah. to be seen. So it's yeah. it's interesting that uh, I don't think, as far as I know, Ezra Pound was not, did not have a public um, come to Jesus moment. But he, if it did, I don't think it would come necessarily from a Gary Davis, Charles Bradley. Mm-hmm. It would come from a T.S. Eliot. Right. So again, this is the point of the body of Christ is to be. You know, Paul wanted to be everything to everybody, but he, he couldn't be. Mm-hmm. The body of Christ can be everything to everybody. Because it's all of us. Because it's all of us. So the guys who would need a T.S. Eliot to um, show them who Christ is and the people who would need a Charles Bradley to show them who Christ is, they're and covered. There's, and there's people who need a Jonathan. Yeah, exactly. And a Jim and yeah. uh, uh, whoever else is listening. Yeah. yeah. So that that is the, the freedom, the beautiful free, yeah. freedom of it. Ephesians 2.10 is your reference there. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to mm-hmm. great works, which he prepared in advance for us. We're his poema. We're, That's we're, right. We're his poem. That's right. I forgot about that part. And, and uh, so we are handiworks of God if we allow him to do his work in us. Yeah. 
and uh, walk with him. Well, I've enjoyed this, John. Thanks for walking me through. I, I'm I'm mesmerized by your deep love for art and writers and music. It inspires me, and so I've enjoyed that part as well. Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad to give you a rest. You're always doing, and I not a criticism. <laughs> I love when you talk a lot, but uh, so I'm glad to give you a break as far as word count yeah. per episode. Yeah. I'll take the cake on that one. All this. right. Well, listen, Hey, thanks for listening. Do us a favor. Like us on, uh, iTunes give us a rating, mm-hmm. um, Apple podcast, awesome. whatever that really helps us. The subscribe button on there would also really help us. If you're not subscribed already, uh, do that. And if you, uh, download these to your phone, so you listen, you can listen to them on the road. If you subscribe, it'll do that automatically. Yeah. Just every single yeah, week. Yeah. Then you'll get it each week. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. You can email us info at jimandjohn.com. No H in the John. We'd love to hear from you. Check us out on Instagram, Jim and John. Have a great day.